This is the FBCG Live podcast with Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. Today's message is titled, Overcoming Personal Prisons, A Walk Through Philippians Part 1. Your response to your drama is what gives others hope. We must learn to see life from God's vantage point. Wherever you're joining us from, we pray this message encourages and empowers you in your daily walk with God. All right, listen, I am starting a new series tonight in the book of Philippians. So find that, find that in your Bible somewhere, the book of Philippians. It's uh, in the New Testament. Uh, it's uh, uh, page 1032 in my Bible. I don't know what page it is in yours, but uh, it's a New Testament book. And uh, it's only four chapters. So we're going to take and spend the next few weeks going through it. And there's some unique things about this book that I want to spend just a moment talking about. And I do have a theme that I'm uh, labeling this. Um, Paul the Apostle is writing uh, this book to, um, oh well, before I tell you that, let me just tell you, he's in prison. He is, in, he is imprisoned. Uh, and he is um, uh, speaking and ministering to the saints in the Philippian church from an incarcerated home, a home detention, as it were. He's under house arrest, restricted in his activities, restricted in what he can do and where he can go. Uh, he's under a Roman authority, and this Roman imprisonment is where he's from. And I wanted to talk about this today, and it's, it's, a, it's a great passage because there's so many powerful things that uh, Paul says uh, to the church from his imprisoned condition. And I'm I'm, uh, I'm naming this theme, we are naming this series, Overcoming Personal Prisons. Overcoming Personal Prisons, a walk through Philippians. That's what we're calling it. Uh, we don't have it up on the screen or anything, but you'll see it start next week that this is, this, this is the branding that we're doing for this. This is the theme for it, Overcoming Personal Prisons, a walk through Philippians. And this is important because many of you are in personal prisons. Some of you are restricted. Maybe it's because of your health. Maybe it's because of circumstances in your life. Uh, I'm not sure what might be the reason. It might just be in your mind or in your heart that has kept you in or put you in a restricted posture. And so uh, we want to take a moment and see what the Apostle Paul has to say to the church in Philippi while they are in this uh, uh, while he's in an incarcerated posture, while he's in prison, what does he have to say? So I'm going to try to get through chapter 1 today. There's so much he says in chapter 1. I just want to try to uh, hit chapter 1, and hopefully it will resonate with you like it did with me. It's, it's powerful and profound. Let's start uh, by going to um, the, first, the first few verses, and I want to begin by telling you the first two verses are a greeting. It's a greeting. And in, in verse 1, Paul uh, and Timothy, this is, uh, the, it's written by Paul, but Timothy is his assistant. So he says in verse 1, uh, here's what he says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So he, he is speaking to the church, but he's also focusing also on a message to the leadership of the church. He speaks and says to the, to the bishops and to the deacons. This is a, a challenge to them that he writes to them. That's what 
it says, a letter to them, an encouragement, a challenge to them. And so he says, here's what he says, verse number two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm extending to you, he says, grace and peace. And those are the two components and elements that we need in life. We need the grace of God. Y'all have heard me talk about grace so many times. God loves grace and he loves the humble. And you humble yourself before God, he smears you with grace. Grace empowers you to want to do right. Grace helps you be empowered to do right. The want to do and the desire to do. And he says, I'm going to give you peace. And the reason peace is important is because God gives us the capacity and the ability, if we have peace, to sustain ourselves through the drama of life. You just live and there's always something going on, some kind of drama, some kind of challenge, some kind of, some kind of issue that goes on. But, but here's what Paul says, I'm hoping that, and I'm praying, and I'm interceding, and I'm extending to you grace and peace. The Bible talks about a peace that surpasses understanding. While everything around you has gone haywire, and everything's out of control, you can maintain peace. People talking about you, but you've got peace. People saying bad things about you, you won't be walking up slapping somebody upside their face when you had a peace of God. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there today. just has a little uh, thing. Um, so it says grace and peace. Somebody needed some peace the other day. Uh, then he goes into verses 3 through 11 with a prayer. He prays. He says, I want to tell you, I'm praying. He's interceding on their behalf. And, and, you know, and the reason this is significant and important is because he's modeling for us what to pray and how to pray. The Bible is full of prayers. And what I think is, is powerful and important about this is that he's given us some insights on the things that we should pray about. Um, what, what, do, what do we want to pray about? What's, what's the prayer about? I'm glad you, you asked. He begins in verse number 5. Let's read verse 5. He's giving thanks and praying for others. Verse, verse 3. Let me start with verse 3. I'm sorry. Um, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request of you all with joy. He says, I'm praying with you with joy. And then he says this, verse 5. Here's what he's praying for. He says, um, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's giving thanks and thanking them for their fellowship with him in the gospel that they, they have hung with him even to now. Even though he's been incarcerated, rejected, talked about. But he's giving God praise and giving God thanks for them. He's giving God praise for others. I wonder how many people give God thanks for the people that God has surrounded them with. Giving God praise and and appreciation for the people that he's used in your life is what he's saying. Then he says in verses 6 through 11, here's what he says. I, I want to I exhort others. I want to say a prayer for other people. I want to uh, hold, hold other people up and pray for them. Here's what he says. Being confident of, the, of this very thing, verse 6. I love this, he says in verse 6. He says, I want to be confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Stick a pin right there. Here's what he says. I wanna, I'm confident that God has begun something very significant in you. And all of you need to know that, that God is working on you. All of us are 
uh, a work in process. God's trying to develop us. Um, he's trying to help us to become what he wants us to be. And he has begun to do something in you, and he ain't going to stop halfway through the journey. What I love about this verse here, he has started it, and he will complete it. And it will be a process that will go on in your life until Jesus comes back. Or, or until your journey on this planet ends. It is a, it is a day, a, a, a journey of God starting something, and whatever God starts, he will complete it. He has begun, and guess what? It is a good work. It's a good thing God's doing. You may not like what's going on in your life right now, but you've you got to learn to see life from God's vantage point. And you got to know that Romans 8, 28, stick that, write this verse to the side. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Why? That we might be conformed to the image of his son. What he's after, he's doing a good thing. When it's all is said and done, God is doing a good thing in you. And he will complete it. I love that verse right there. So he has begun a good work. In verse 7 and 8, he's affirming that, guess what? He, he's, God has started this work in you, and guess what? He is going to complete it, and, and he is celebrating the fact that you are a partner with him in, in the journey. Look at verses 7 and 8, he says, and this is a part of his prayer. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Boy, that's a mouthful. But look at what he says. This is right for me to think and to know and to say and to declare and to affirm to you that, that God uh, uh, is doing something in you. And I'm doing this even while I'm in my chains, even though I'm incarcerated. And in defense of the, of the confirmation of the gospel, in defense of the fact that you are partners with me in the gospel, God is saying, you are a partner with me in this thing. That's what Paul is saying. You are a partner with me. And you are partakers with me of the grace of God. We, we are all experiencing and are partners with, with Paul with the gospel. And that's what he says to them. He's affirming their partnership in the gospel. I'm grateful for all of the people who, who have joined and united with the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden and recognizes that they are partners in the gospel with us. They are, they are joined with us. They are not ashamed to say, hey, I'm a part of this church, and I'm a part of being in the family of God, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm grateful to be a part of that. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness, verse 8. For God is my witness, he says. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I'm longing, and that's how, that's how I feel right now. I'm longing to get back connected with the saints of God. I, that's why I'm so excited to be able to connect with the people who are working in the kingdom and serving in the kingdom and worshiping together. There's something profound and powerful when the saints of God get together that there's nothing in the world can compare with the children of God getting together, worshiping God corporately together in person. You know, we, we, we've been doing this thing virtually, and it's okay because we didn't have a choice, but there is something spectacular. When, when the saints of God get together, I'd have been to concerts and football games and basketball games when it got excited, but nothing compares like what it's like when the children of God get together and the glory of God descends into the building. Nothing compares 
with the glory of God filling the sanctuary and, and his presence filling the building. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's, a, it's unheard of. And, 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 and that's why I say if you are physically able to be in the building, be in the building. And we are expecting God to do a spectacular thing. But Paul says, and I love this, he says, God is my witness how greatly I long for you. And I'm saying to you today, I'm longing for the day that we can be back together again and worship God because of his great, wonderful blessing that he has bestowed upon us. That's verse number eight. Verse nine, uh, he's praying for abounding love in knowledge and discernment. He says, I'm praying for you uh, that you will... Uh, have love, and that word love is agape, that you have a level of love, he's saying, abounding love, uh, that your love will abound uh, in knowledge and discernment. Let's read verse 9 uh, very quickly. Here's what it says. And this I pray, here's my prayer, he says, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. I'm praying that your love would be abounding more and more with the knowledge of God and the discernment, the experience that you've experienced God. That's what discernment means. It means you've experienced the presence and glory of God in your life. That you've seen God demonstrate how much he cares about you and how much he loves you. And how much he's defending your, your cause and fighting your case and, and giving you the victory. Man, when you experience the love of God, there's nothing in the world that compares with it. And that's what he says. He says, I, I'm, I'm praying that you would abound in the love of God uh, and have uh, the knowledge of God and the discernment, the experience of God. And then verse 10 says this, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I get excited. Slow down, Pastor. Let me, let me slow down. I get so excited, I keep wanting to rush because I, I see the next verse saying, talk about me. The next verse say, you, are you going to talk about me? It keeps saying that to me. Verse 10 is talking about this. He says, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day uh, and praying that you have the ability to approve what's excellent, what is excellent, and that we may be sincere without God. Let me talk about excellence for a second, because the other day, on Sunday night, we had communion, and uh, um, I had some of the leaders in the sanctuary with us, and and uh, everything wasn't quite in order. Y'all might not have seen this at home, but there was something out of order. And my wife stepped to the, came up to the podium to put everything in place. You know why? Because she has a spirit of excellence. And I think the church ought to have a spirit and a mentality of being excellent, that we ought to not present God to God anything um, half-heartedly or halfway done, that we ought to present to God that which is excellent. And that's what Paul is praying here today, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you will be sincere. That means pure, have integrity. That's what sincere means. And without offense, that, that whatever you do, you won't offend nobody. Your language won't offend. Your behavior won't offend anybody. But you will function and operate with a level of excellence. One of the core values of our church is excellence. If we can't do it right, we're not going to do it at all. If we can't give it the best so that God gets the glory and God gets the praise, if we can't do it in an excellent way, we're not going to do it. We've got to have 
every ministry has a, a mentality and a spirit of excellence. And we hold people to that standard. Finally, it says in verse number 11 in this prayer, he's praying uh, for them to be filled with what he calls righteousness. Verse 11 says, he says, I'm praying for them to be filled with righteousness. I love that. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Verse 11, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wants us to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. What does that mean? That means, and that word righteousness means justice. That's what the word means. That we are filled with doing what's just. What's, what's the right thing to do. Sometimes people just do things because they can get away with it. They can slide by. But God has called us to be people that we want to be people who do what's just. What's the right thing to do? What's the fair thing to do? What's the appropriate thing to do? That's, that's the kind of church we're trying to raise. We're, we're not trying to sneak stuff by. We're not trying to just get over to get over. We want to function and flow in a mentality and a heart and a spirit of, ex, of righteousness and what's just and what's excellent. And so that's, that's his prayer, that we, we will, in fact, be filled with the fruits of righteousness which we get because we're, 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 say, we're servants of Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, so that God gets the glory, so that God gets the praise. When you do the right thing, God gets the glory. When you do the right thing, he gets praise. People stop and step by and give him the glory. And so he wants that to be a part of where we are that um, God wants us to be uh, able to do that. And so... And what I love about this, here's Paul in, a, in, a, in jail. And some of you are, has, have personal prisons. And you're personally incarcerated. And you're personally not able to do some stuff you want to do for whatever reason that constrains you. And, and somehow or another, you may feel that you, you don't have to give your best. Or it's not, you don't have to do. But he, Paul, I love Paul's attitude. He says, I, I know I'm in jail, but I'm praying that even in my chains... You will pick up the spirit and the attitude of doing what's right, of doing what's excellent, of doing what's pleasing and acceptable to God. Why? So that God gets the glory. So that he gets the praise. That's what I'm after. I'm after praising God and giving him the glory. Now, that's, those are the first 11 verses of chapter 1. Now, let's slide down to verses 12 through 18 because here he talks about something else. He talks about persecution that propels the gospel. Write that down. Persecution that propels the gospel. Persecution. He, he's going to identify the fact that there's some unpleasant things going on. Uh, some unpleasant things uh, strolling along. Uh, but he says, I'm happy about it because it's causing the gospel to be, be sent around the world. So he's looking at the circumstances of him and others, and he is saying it's okay, whatever they're going through, for whatever reason that they're doing what they're doing. And he says this, the gospel is being preached. Let's see what he's saying. And, I, and I, I've tagged this section, verses 12 through 18, the, 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 that, that the gospel the prosecution, the persecution that people are going through is helping to propel the gospel. He challenges in verse 12, um, uh, 
His, his situation has helped to further the gospel. Verse 12. Let's read that. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This man is incarcerated and in jail because he preached the gospel. And instead of him moping and groping and complaining, he says, I love this right here. He says, what has actually happened, it has turned out to help spread the gospel. Boy, isn't that a mentality to have? Instead of complaining about woe is me and here's how bad things that are happening to me and here's my horror, horror story. And some of you are complaining because of the circumstances that you're going through. But what you need to know that you might be talked about, you might be rejected, you, you might go through a whole lot of things in life. The mentality to have is it's okay. Whatever I'm going through, God's going to use it to help further the gospel. Man, that's profound. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He says in verse 13, look at verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He, you know what he said? All of those who have watched me, those who have witnessed my circumstances, and he calls out in particular the guards in the palace, and to all the rest who see that I'm in chains, he said, it's become evident to them that I'm a child of God. They know there's something special about me, Paul is saying. They recognize that I have a, a gifting, a flavor, a favor, an anointing on my life. That they see that I am a special person. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but you is special. Yeah, they're talking about you. Yeah, they rejected you. Yeah, they don't call you out. Yeah, they're trying to get you fired. Yeah, they're calling you names. But it's okay. You didn't cuss them out. You didn't talk back at them. You didn't hate back at them. You are special. You're unique. You didn't treat them the way they treated you. And so the fact of the matter is all that they did to him, Paul says, I'm in chains. And you might be in chains of how people are treating you. You might be in chains. But how you respond to your chains, glory to God, lets them know that there's something unique and special about you. You are in Christ. Man, I give God the glory about that. Verse 14 says this, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here's what I'm saying. Other brothers have gained confidence because of Paul's chains. Here's what Paul is saying. Verse 14. Others have saw how I responded. Boy, this is so, man, this is so amazing. I need y'all to get this. I need you to understand. Paul is saying, others have watched what has happened to me. And it gave them the courage. It gave them uh, the peace. They gave, it gave them the boldness, I think it's, that's the word he used, uh, they, they got confident. Most, and most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains have are much more bold to speak the word without fear verse 14 they, they have stepped to the plate because they saw what I've gone through and it's given them the courage and the boldness to speak out what am I trying to say to you today people are watching you and how you respond to the situation that you're in how you responding to how you're being treated how you're responding to people lying on you, talking about you, rejecting you, dishonoring you, disrespecting you. 
and all of this stuff they did to you, all because you are a Christian, because you stand up for Jesus. And they've done all of this stuff to you, and they're watching to see how you're going to respond. And what you got to see, what you got to know, y'all, I'm sorry, y'all, let me calm, calm down, Pastor Jenkins. <sighs> I got to calm down. People are watching you. People are observing how you're responding to what you're going through. And your response to your drama is what's giving somebody else hope and courage. When they see that you can make it through, they say to themselves, I can make it through too. When they see you worshiping God with your hands raised up, giving God the glory and giving him the praise, when they see that you can worship God with what you're going through, it makes a declaration to them that they too ought to be able to worship God. Last Sunday, I want to thank God for Dr. Sam Chan preaching for me while I was out of town. I was in Issaquah, Seattle, Washington, preaching for Pastor Steve Jameson. I saw a most fascinating thing there. They were celebrating their churches, uh, their church and all the things that their church has, has accomplished and done. They were celebrating. And as a part of their testimony, uh, they talked about some of the people in the church whose lives have been changed. And one of the testimonies they gave was a young lady who, when she was 16 years of age, 16, was in a car accident that paralyzed her, and she's confined to a wheelchair. And they rolled her out, and they talked about this 16-year-old girl who, when she first came to the church and got in this accident, was bitter against God. Why did God let this happen to her? And through the preaching of the gospel and through her being around other Christians and through her learning the truth of God's word has transitioned out of being bitter against God to a place of being able to give God praise and glory. And in that sanctuary, if you could see the people worshiping God when that girl in her paralyzed condition raised her hands with some of her fingers still paralyzed and worshiping God, when they saw her worship God, it could not help but to bring declaration to the rest of the church to give God the praise and the thanks. Because if she can praise God, they can praise God. One man said he's sitting behind her and every Sunday he see her worshiping God. Go get me a tissue, uh, Amber Bear. I need, or, uh, yeah, thank you. I'm sorry, they can't see these tears running down my eyes. Thank you very much. I get excited when I think about all the stuff God has done for me and what, and, I, and what I know he's done for you. Yet you feel like you can't give him the glory and the honor. He's worthy. I don't care what you're going through. Somebody's watching you. And God wants you to be able to give him the glory and the honor and the praise regardless of what your circumstances might be because he's worthy to be praised. And that's what Paul is in essence saying here that when they saw his chains, when they saw what he was going through, uh, they worshiped God. They, they got bold. They got confident. They got, they got the strength to go on. And I want to make a declaration to you that you can do the same thing. You can go on. Yeah, it may not be the situation you want to be in. You might not like where you are. You might not want to be there, but guess what? I don't care where you are, God is still worthy to be praised. You still got a roof over your head. You still got clothes on your back. 
You still got food in your cup and you still leading and God still loves you. You're still alive. You're still here. And so uh, the gospel is being expanded when you're going through your issues and challenges and others see you, it encourages them to go ahead and take a stand. And that's what he's saying in this, in this verse right here. And I love that verse right here that they could, they, they, it, it caused them much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse number 15 says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. I like this. He says, some, some, some are preaching for the wrong reasons, he says. Some indeed, in, indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from, from goodwill. Uh, the former preached, verse 16, Christ from selfish ambition. Verse 16, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. He said some, some, some of them have, they, they, here's what he's saying. They've come for the wrong motive. They're preaching for the wrong reasons. Some of them got selfish motives. Some of them, some of them uh, are preaching for good cause. Some of them are doing it for the right reason. But some of them are, got selfish ambition. It's all about them, selfish ambitions. It ain't about the kingdom. It's not about glorifying God. This is about their reputation, their name. They're preaching so they can get a paycheck or they're preaching so they can get honor or get, make a name for themselves or get fame on themselves. But I hear God telling us today, either way, here's what Paul has said, even though they might be preaching for the wrong reason and the wrong motive, the gospel is still being preached. See, the, here's what I love about this. That gospel is so powerful that even if you stand up to declare it with, with all the wrong reasons, the gospel is still powerful enough to change, and change lives even though your motives may not be right. Man, that's profound. I'm hoping y'all can get that in your head. Some, verse 17, uh, some preach, he's saying, verse 17, but the latter out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Some preach from the posture of love and are doing it for the right reasons, and they recognize that Paul, who is their example, who's their model, uh, has an appointment on his life. And, and, and here's what I, it, Paul is saying, I, yeah, I'm in jail, yet my circumstances are not, but I have an appointment. I'm here by reason of an assignment. I'm on assignment. And some of you need to, I don't know who I'm preaching to today, some of you need to understand you're on assignment. Your journey, your pain is a part of your assignment. Your rejection, your challenge is, a, is an assignment. Uh, to, uh, in, in 1 Peter 2, Paul says, to this you were called. Some of you got a calling to suffer. And I think this is important because a lot of people don't, they don't want that in their life. They just want everything to be peaches and cream. They just want life to be perfect. But Paul is telling us, even from the, your personal prison, uh, thank God that we have uh, uh, an opportunity uh, uh, to overcome the prison, the challenge, the struggle, the pain that we're in. We have an opportunity. We have uh, a God who loves us enough to make provisions for us. And, and Paul is our example. And so he's saying to the church in Philippi and to the bishops and the deacons and the leaders of the church, uh, I've got this appointment, and guess what? You have an appointment too. You've been called to this too. 
Hallelujah. So uh, that's profound. That's powerful. It's amazing. And in verse 18, uh, Paul is, 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 let me read verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He says, he's closing up then, what then? In other words, you got people who did it for the wrong reason, some who did it for the right reason, some who are doing it out of envy and strife, some who are doing it from goodwill, some who have selfish ambitions and they're not sincere, some who are trying to make me look bad, some of them doing it out of love. He says, whichever way they came, whether it's in truth or they're pretending, Nonetheless, Christ is preached. And he says, in this, I'm still rejoicing. I have long since stopped judging people's motives of why they're doing it. But if they're preaching the gospel, I'm still celebrating the fact that the gospel is being preached and lives are being changed. I'm rejoicing because God has the ability and the capacity and the ability, even when somebody has the wrong motives, to preach the gospel and still see lives be changed. I hope I'm not going too fast for y'all because get, I'm getting excited at these, these, these verses and these passages here. It's profound. It's powerful. Let me hurry up. I'm acting like I got all night. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me go to verse 19 through 26 because Paul says this. Here's, here's my, 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 my final uh, uh, section that I want to talk about. No, it's not my final section. I still got two sections to go. I want to talk about deliverance through prayer or through death that Paul knows he's going to be delivered and that deliverance is going to come one way or the other it's going to either come as a result of prayer or it's going to come through God taking him out and he's, he knows one way or the other he's going to be uh, delivered and that's in verse 19 through 26 look at verse 19 for I know verse 19 that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, I know I'm in chains, but I'm grateful that I know that one way or the, or the other, God is going to deliver me because of your prayers, he says. He knows that prayer is going to bring deliverance. Please keep in mind how powerful prayer is. One of the things I determined that we're going to do when we get back together, we're going to devote some time to prayer. And I'm praying that when we come back on Tuesdays, by the way, uh, we'll come, we won't come back to Bible study in person on Tuesdays until May. So we'll start May, the first Tuesday in May. Uh, I can't remember what that date is. I think it's May the 3rd or somewhere like that. The, is it the, the first Tuesday in May? Is it no? The 10th? Okay, we're coming back the second, the second Tuesday. May the 10th is when we come back. That's when we come back in person. Okay, yeah, that's right. The third will still be virtual. The 10th will be in person. Thank you. Thank you all. The 10th will be in person. Um, why did I go down that road? <laughs> oh, prayer. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Hurd, for being here and helping me. Uh, I'm going to devote some time to prayer because I believe in prayer. We're going to be praying. We are going to devote some time to coming before God corporately and praying. And so he says that in verse 19. And in verse 20, he says this. Look at verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness has always. So now also Christ will be manifested in my body, whether by life or by death, one way or the other, he's saying, either by 
delivering me supernaturally out of the prison or by taking me out of here. He says, one way or the other, by life or by death, I will be delivered. And I'm giving God the praise. That's what he said. He has an expectation that God is going to deliver him either through the, a miracle or by death. Jot down um, uh, uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. 40. Just jot it down. It's not going to come up on the screen. But Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 40, when he got incarcerated, he, uh, Paul and Silas got delivered supernaturally when they were incarcerated. They got God opened up uh, the prison doors for them and set them free supernaturally. So he, he's experienced with God. He knows that one way or the other, God is going to release him from his incarceration. And you and I got to have that hope too, that one way or the other, God's going to bring us out. God's going to make a way. God's going to somehow bring deliverance. One way or the other, he's going to bring He's going to bring us out and bring deliverance. And so that's verse 20. Verse 21 through 23, let's read those verses for a second. Here's what he says. Uh, matter of fact, let me say this. He says in verse 21 through 23, he wants to say, To live will give me the ability to continue to preach Christ, but death will take me to heaven. Verses 21 through 23. Here's what he's saying. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live... On in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Here's a man whose mentality is, if I die, it's much better. He says, uh, my, my earnest expectation and hope uh, uh, that I have is, is that... Uh, 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 to live, I can live for Christ, but to die is much better. He said, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of death. My, if I die, that's far better to me. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit. I'll be able to get more people saved. That's what that means. I'll be able to continue to help the gospel be spread. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, living and dying, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, verse 24, Nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for this progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Here's what Paul is saying. And I, I, again, I get I just get over thrilled by these passages. He's in essence saying if I stay, it's going to help you. And I'm confident because I know that if I remain, uh, I'm going to continue to help your faith grow and help you progress and help your joy and your faith to develop and help you become everything God wants you to be. And so uh, your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. If I'm able to come to you again, you'll be excited to see that when I get there, uh, you'll be excited, your joy will be full, and you'll be better because I can deposit in you and teach you and, and help you increase in your walk with God. Thank the Lord for a man who's devoted his life and sacrificed his life for the betterment of other people. And so in verses 24 through 26, what he in essence is saying, he's declaring if he stays alive, he will be beneficial to other saints. And so uh, thank the Lord that that's his 
mindset that I want to live not for selfish reasons, but to be a benefit to others. And that's what God is calling you and I to do, to be beneficial and, and a benefit to other people. Let me give you the last section here, which is section uh, that deals with uh, verses 27 through 30, a call to stand and suffer for the gospel, a call to stand and suffer for the gospel. You're not going to hear, you're not, hear not, not too many people are attending the suffering conference. Nobody's signing up for that. Nobody's, nobody's uh, uh, lining up to go to that, that service. Um, uh, but Paul wants to make a challenge to them. Look at what he said in verse 27. He talks about their conduct and how they live, verse 27. Only let your conduct, verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, listen to this, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's profound. Here's what he's saying. Uh, I want your conduct and your lifestyle to be worthy to be in the gospel so that when I come to see you, whether in person or whether I know about you in, and I'm not present with you in body, that when I hear about you, that you are unified, that you have, you have one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He is, he is highlighting the significance of unity. Let's be united. Whatever you do, saints, stay in a united posture. Later on, we're going to find out about two ladies who had tensions in the church. They're fighting and arguing in the church. And he says, no, we, we need to be unified. And, and that's what God calls the church to be. We got to be unified. Lord, please get rid of the tension in the church. I'm sure that when tension is in the building, somebody's being selfish. Somebody's being selfish. So God is calling us to leave, leave out of that. In verse number 28, he talks about don't be afraid of your ad adversities in life. Look at verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your ad adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Here's what he said. When, you, when, you are, when your adversaries are coming to bring trouble in your life, they're talking about you, this, put, putting you in, in strife and and being critical of you and rejecting you and hurting you and doing all that kind of stuff to you. He says, that's proof that you have the salvation of God. That, you know, this is one of the places that says, here's the proof that you belong to Jesus, that you're one of his children. It's the fact that you have to, you, you're being rejected, you're being persecuted. He says, it's, it's evidence that you belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So count, it as, count it as evidence. Don't cry about it. Consider it evidence that you belong to the Lord. Let me, let me close this for a second. Verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having, verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. In other words, I like this right here too. God for, uh, has granted you uh, to put your faith in him, and also since you put your faith in him, verse number 29, that you suffer for his sake. There will come a time and season that God has called us to suffer. Be willing to suffer for the kingdom of God. That's the call and the mantle that God has for us. Suffer for his kingdom.
That's, that's, that's the command and the call that the Lord Jesus has called us to have. Life, uh, life has suffering. We don't want the suffering. Nobody's signing up for it, but it's a part of the journey. Uh, not only believing in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Let me say this. Let me throw this pen in here. Make sure you're suffering for his sake, not for your own foolishness. Don't be suffering because of your, your actions, your attitude, your words, but suffer because you took a stand for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the command of God. That's the scripture. That's the assignment that is given to us. And I want to make an appeal to you today. I want to challenge you today. This first chapter lays the groundwork for uh, overcoming uh, uh, the challenges of your life. Um, and, you, and you and I, uh, this is what he's saying in this, this, this final verse. You and I are going to suffer too. Just like Paul suffered, we're going to suffer. It's a part of the journey. But guess what? If you suffer with him, you will reign with him. When he comes to his glory, you will reign with him. You will be a part of reigning in his kingdom and, and glory. I'm hoping that this is helping somebody here today have the hope and the faith to hang in there and be encouraged. I'm hoping that somebody in this stream, this virtual Bible study, heard God talk to you through Philippians chapter 1. I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm believing that somewhere down the journey, you will not look at suffering in a bad way, but you will rejoice and be glad that you were able to suffer with Christ. Because the scripture is clear. If you suffer with him, you will reign with him. Thank you, Father, so much. Thank you, Jesus, for the price you paid. Thank you for the mercies you've extended to us that, in fact, you have empowered us. You've empowered us, Lord, to win and not lose, to be up and not down. And I pray today, Father, that your children, your sons, your daughters would in fact be and do exactly what you called them to be and do. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to FBCG Live with Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. When all is said and done, God is doing a good thing in you. If you've been blessed by this message and would like to help us reach more people through this ministry, please click the link in the podcast description or visit our website, fbcglenarden.org slash give to donate. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you'll subscribe so that you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to tune in next week.